The sun has left and forgotten me. It's dark, I cannot see. Your stories don't define you, but how you tell them will. Hi, I'm Sarah Elkins, your host and chief story maker at Elkins Consulting. One of the ways I love to make stories is by simply meeting new people in an environment where it, it, it may be unexpected that I'll meet somebody that definitely catches my attention, is thoughtful, and I immediately want to have them on my podcast. And today's guest is an example of that kind of story making. We met at the Momentum Community hosted by Sapari Solutions and Nettie Owens. And I highly recommend you check this out because it's not every week, but it is the kind of community that comes together to learn together, to grow together, and to push each other to do the things that we talk about as opposed to just talking about them. So I'd love to welcome Peter Davis to the Your Stories Don't Define You, How You Tell Them Will podcast. Thanks for joining me, Peter. Thank you, Sarah. It's a pleasure to be here. So um, what brought you to the Momentum community where we met? I met Netty through several networking events. She's invited me to many things. I'm semi-retired, so I don't feel this urgency to grow my business in the way that she is teaching. Mm-hmm. But she's so lovely that she keeps inviting me back to all of her events, <laughs> and I enjoy them, and I support her in any way I can. Um, uh, so just Baltimore networking, higher level wow. Baltimore networking. She is really lovely, very thoughtful, and effective in the work that she does to tireless. guide people. Tireless. And I think part of why she invites you and why you keep coming back is because she knows that it can't be all people who are striving to build a business because we have to learn from each other. And she's inviting you as a resource as well as to see what you can get out of it. But I I think more than anything else, she probably recognizes you as a potential resource for the people that she's working with. And I'm happy to be that. If that's the role, I I like it. I'm happy to evangelize the power of stories for business people uh, at any chance I can get. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. And we'll get into um, the the clients that you work with in your semi-retirement in a little bit. But let's start with the beginning, which is, um, you know, from listening to a few of these episodes that I love to ask my guests to share something about themselves that most people don't know about them. And the reason I do this, as my listeners know, is because I think in many ways, when we see each other on social media, we have a tendency to um, see people as single dimensional or or just barely complicated. And by asking this question at the beginning of our conversation, it gives people more context to understand how complicated people are and how multidimensional we are. So what do you think? I. I I have several. It's hard to choose. I'm going to go with kind of a, an origin story as as being a, an army brat. Mm. My father was a career military officer, and uh, and we moved around a lot. And while I hated leaving, I hated being the new person everywhere I went. But I also, when we left for another assignment for him, felt great loss and grieving 
for the friends that I was leaving behind. So, so while I hated it when I got there, obviously it became something fun and, and useful and a great experience. And I hated leaving it behind. What it gave me was expansiveness, an expansive worldview to see people from different cultures or even different states. And the United States is a big country. So the difference between your Montana and my sub- Southeast Pennsylvania are are big. They're significant. And uh, I think that expansiveness has served me well all my life. Um, One example is it gave me the courage to move from southern New Mexico, one of the many places I've lived in that I liked a lot, but I I needed more culture. And I needed uh, a bigger American experience. and Las Cruces, New Mexico, was just one of the many places that my father was stationed. So it was it was his world, not mine. Right. So I one day decided I'm gonna I need to live in a big American city, and I chose Chicago. And I went there sight unseen, with no contacts, no job offers, no understanding of what I was getting myself into. I didn't even have a coat. No. Chicago can be <laughs> and very. And how cold. old were you? I was in my I was in I was in my mid 30s. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I was in my mid 30s. It was it was incredible adventure. Um so I, and I had 45 days to do it. Uh so I sold all my stuff and kept a journal of all the things that I needed to accomplish and how I felt about them and all that and I would go back every three or four days and annotate this journal. Well, I did this and that worked out. I haven't done this yet. Better put that at the top of the list. And my anno- and then I started annotating my annotations. So it became very personal and very deep. And I would be thinking about, you know, why am I doing this? Mm. And what is my expectation of it? And what does today have to do with that? All kinds of things. So this was a marvel of a book that I give it all the credit for getting me from sleepy southern New Mexico to the hustle and bustle of of Chicago. Um, When I got there, I was afraid, terrified, lonely, confused about how things work. Uh, It, you know, public transportation, all of that. And uh, you hear things about big cities and how crime ridden they are and you better be careful and um so i was aware of all that um but i was alive every cell in my body was electric and and present and and looking out if not for danger for opportunity and it it was a life-changing experience and i learned very quickly that in chicago being good at something they don't care. Everyone's good at something. You got to be great. Mm. You got to stand out. You really have to have something to offer and you have to be tough. You have to be able to take criticism. Um, lots of it. <laughs> and uh, But I, I weathered through it and ended up staying there 21 years, um, built a life, had a ton of friends, um, expanded my world, not only from from business and some theater but got into music which i had never done before if chicago offers anything it's food music culture uh and diversity 
Yes. The level of diversity there was incredible. You're on an L train going downtown like everybody for work. You're going to see people at every station of life. And they're all reading a great book. <laughs> and I just thought, wow. I And I was like, where's my book? <laughs> so as the years went by, I've read so many great novels and literature. And, and uh, it was incredible. I loved it. Oh, my gosh. Wow. What a great story, Peter. I, I think what's what stands out to me is I was anticipating you saying you were like 18 or 22, like right out of finishing college or high school. And the fact that you were in your thirties and hadn't done this yet and decided it was time to do this. I think that's even more impressive because you know what you don't know in your thirties. When you're 18, 22, 25, you don't know what you don't know yet. You go in, you think you do, you think you know everything. And you in, think you you think you can handle everything. Right. But in your 30s, you know that this is a big risk. You know what you're taking on to a certain extent, and you did it anyway. And so many people in their 30s, they just get so comfortable and complacent. They decide, well, this is easier. And then in their 40s and 50s, they, they face all this regret. That's been my experience with actually quite a few of my clients and people that I have talked to over the years that in their 30s, they're kind of settled in, even if they aren't necessarily content or happy. The The key for me was what that book gave me was a sense of, of clarity. I'm dealing with so many unknowns that at least I had clarity about my purpose and why I was going and mm -hmm. what I was trying to accomplish when I got there and, and, and over time, of course, all of that is going to change, but right. to get there, I, I, I needed it. Well, and, and that's the part of it is that you kept changing it. That's another thing that makes that a unique story is that so many people, they set a goal and they don't come back to see if it's still their goal, short term or long term. Right. And the fact that you kept going back to it. You didn't stick with one thing because it seemed like the right thing to do. Anytime something changed in your brain, you annotated. That wasn't I, your goal anymore. I had this grand aspiration that because I'd done some theater and written some plays that I was just going to go to Chicago and be a writer somehow and make a living. <laughs> As a musician, that's why I'm laughing out loud. <laughs> well, I, I learned to be a musician uh -huh. uh, at some point just for fun, but uh, the writer thing was, it's almost laughable, but I'm looking for jobs, you know, and, and back then it was mostly the, the one ads mm -hmm. in the back of a newspaper and circling things and sending handwritten resumes and all these things. And uh, one day I was at the end of, I was really at the end of my rope in terms of the money I had taken and all that. And, and I saw an ad for a resume writer in downtown Chicago on a high rise. Um, and it sounded like a decent company. And, and so I sent them a resume and I got a call a few days later. And uh, I got the job, but the, the one of the people calls me and, um, and he goes, yeah. And he was just like, I see on your resume, you've done some theater. That's the only thing that really interests me. 
why don't you tell me what that means to me? This is resume writing and all that. And, and, but why don't you just tell me why, why that's interesting to me? Not he's telling me why it's interesting, but he wanted me right. to explain why. How, he was how does that apply to resume yeah. writing? How are you going to make this connect? And uh, I knew in, in previous, in our little bit of conversation that, that, within this resume writing thing that had satellite offices all around Chicago and the suburbs. It was pretty big. He was at the headquarters downtown and he was the career counselor. He had an MA oh. in counseling and he was the career counselor. So with beyond a resume, you were in transition or you got fired and weren't sure what to do and how to explain and all, whatever the case may be. I said, well, look, Sure, I can write them resumes and I'll get better at that. There'll be a learning curve and that's all right. But for you, and I was very assumptive. We're going to work together. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even though you're desperate. <laughs> this is going to be a good fit. Right. For me. And uh, it was hilarious. And I said, uh, well, the theater thing, I, I'm. If you're going into an interview, that is a piece of theater. And the stage mm -hmm. is the office and the desk between you. And that's where it all happens. That is the arena. And I can help your people manage that in terms of body language and how to breathe and how to get your mind right and all the things that an actor would do before they step on stage and hit the lights. And uh, he, there was a long pause and he went, huh, interesting. And uh, I, I got the job and I ended up working with him and as i got better writing resumes i would write his clients resumes for him and he would let me sit in and listen to him with counseling and all that and uh and he had one client who got fired and young woman probably my age at the time and and she was angry that her boss had thrown her under the bus and she's the one that got ditched and she was angry and and couldn't let it go or manage it to move forward. And I said, uh, he looked at me and I'm looking around going, who me? Um, I said, well, let's do him. Let's do improvs. And we'll do three. One of them will be how it happened, how you got humiliated and thrown out. The next one will be in your fantasy of how you wished you'd handle it and, and, you know, given him right back. And then the third one will be, we'll just, uh, it's a piece of theater and uh, it'll, will position you as, as a queen on a throne wearing really nice outfit barefoot so that you know that you're grounded pairing an apple with a little paring knife and just sitting there and going, you know, and just very calmly explaining what really happened to him and what a weak little simp he was very calmly and how you've been covering for him for months. And, uh, and when you're done paring the apple, it, by the time you're done, uh, it's over. And uh, she was so powerful in that moment. And everyone, the energy in the room was like, I mean, this was, it was real theater. Like you were watching Shakespeare or something very powerful. And it was a turning point for her. And it was a turning point for me. Um, uh, and that 
it was a pure translation of theater skills into the business world um, and the writing resumes at a high level for his clients got me on the, I didn't know it at the time, but it taught me that storytelling and how to boil things down to their essence, mm -hmm. um, how to take a 30 year corporate executive's career and put it on one page. Um, so it set me up for what I'm doing today. I didn't know it at the time, but uh, a lot of things just kind of fell in place oddly that looking back, I could go, I see the through line so clearly now. It's just right. unbelievable. And, and I don't know who uncommon. was looking out for me. Yeah, no, that's not uncommon, Peter. I see yeah. that in every client that I work with, all of the young people I talk to, you don't know what this turn is doing for your the yeah. ultimate trajectory. You can't yeah. know in the moment. And I think that's why it's so important to reframe those stories. And the fact that you were able to have that impact on her at the time that the story was still being created in her head. Yes. So this, 10 years later, this was 10 days later, right? Where she... Within a, couple, within a couple of weeks, yeah. Right. So she had this opportunity to reframe what happened very quickly so that she wasn't building the wrong story for 10 years. She could remember clearly how she felt, how humiliated she felt and angry. Mm -hmm. She could remember how useless the anger was in the second improv. Mm -hmm. I mean, it did her no good. Right. Instead of being humiliated, now she was just angry. Right. And the third one was was a real balance and, and a taking taking control so elegantly and subtly and so completely. Right. <laughs> well, that, yes, it's still the same story, though, but it's the yes. way she told it. And <laughs> yes, yeah, um, and context was everything. You're a queen. You're a ruler. Your archetype is ruler in in this one, mm -hmm. and uh, not outlaw where you're trying to burden all down. Not not you know innocent not victim. Where not victim. Not the innocent, and mm -hmm. you know those kind of things. Um. So yeah, that was that was great. gosh. That's um, that's turning my brain in all different interesting directions. The that whole story because of the the idea of using theater in in that situation. Um, it's not new. I know my friend Kimberly Davis. That's that's what she does. Her business is on stage leadership, and it's she's phenomenal. Her her book is called Brave Leadership, and she teaches executives how to lead using. Uh, concepts from the theater that she was involved in for decades, significantly involved. So that's not new. What I love about how you approached it in that situation and how you're holding on to this to continue to use those tools uh, for the nonprofits that you work with. What I love about that, again, it comes back to this reframe of the story, especially when you can do it right away, because a lot of the people that I work with are decades later. And they've repeated the story over and over and over. It's gotten worse over the years, right? It started as, well, she said this to me, and now it has all this false context built around it and all this evidence that she was right, because that's all you're looking a, for. Well, and, and yeah. as the years go by, you're propping up 
a story that is no longer useful and the psychic energy required to maintain that infrastructure must be exhausting. Yes. And so damaging those internal messages. They're not just about that aspect of your life. Like the woman who um, failed math in middle school and at 40 is still saying, well, I I failed math at middle school. I'm not good at math. (laughs) Like what? How is that? And then, of course, that also translates into other things that I'm not good at, right? right? Because it's okay to say I'm not good at something, right? Exactly. So you you hold on to that for so long, and this idea of reenacting it with a witness. I I never thought of it this way, but I did this with a client after we uncovered um, the story from an observational perspective, something she had held on to for forty years. And um, we uncovered the moment that it happened, who was there, what was actually going on, and some of the background for the players. Like, mm-hmm. why would she have said that to you? What what would have made her feel like she needed to say that to you? And so getting this, this whole context around the other characters. Now, again, this is 40 years later. What I ended up asking her to do is sharing that story from the observer perspective, including the character development nice. with three people that she that knew her, but not well. It couldn't be her siblings. It couldn't be her husband. It couldn't be her kids or anyone else that knew the story as well as we did. Mm-hmm. And I remember when she reached out to me about a week later and said, I feel like this huge weight has just dropped off my shoulders. And I said, you have to keep telling the story that way, because mm-hmm. as long as you can continue to prop up that false story, the memory of what happened that isn't actually entirely what happened. It's just this one small snippet about your feelings about what happened. Right. That you have to keep telling it. And I did unfortunately hear her refer to it again in that negative context uh, afterward. And I gently tried to correct her, but by doing it right in that moment with that woman, you completely changed her trajectory. I hope so. And it seemed like it. And uh, there was kind of a big psychic sigh afterwards. For the whole room. Yeah. (laughs) Not just her. Yeah. Wow. I love that. So um, I I think this will help now that we have this context about this particular situation and how you shifted your career in your 30s, which is amazing. And I I could take all day just going backward from here going, okay, so what did you do before your 30s? But Anyway, we won't go there just yet, because what I think our our audience will be interested to hear is how you're using those tools to help nonprofit leaders tell their story. And um, let's start with telling us without telling us what you do by telling us a story about a client that you worked with and how that went, a particular moment in time, if you will. Here's one from Baltimore when I lived in Baltimore, an after-school program, one of many, hundreds of after-school programs declaring whatever, you know, come, you know, we can, we can help. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, right away, I'm thinking, you're going to have to find a way to differentiate yourself that is both compelling, powerful, and accurate and authentic. Uh, Essay, so without giving away who and what and how, in the end, they were able to claim legitimately, well, 
for the after-school program that raises standardized test scores. Now, if you're an after-school program, you're trying to recruit kids to your program and sell the idea to parents. But when you say you're the after-school program that raises standardized test scores, now who's the client? The teachers. The principals. It even right. goes higher. And the superintendent. Because they're going to recommend this place. is judged on whether the test scores go up and down. So if you can go into a, t- a, 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 a principal and say, I need to do my after school program at your school. Well, I we ain't got time. I got resources limited. I stop talking. We need an empty classroom and a teacher to volunteer to sponsor it. And they really don't have to do anything but fulfill that obligation. We'll do everything else. Um, oh, and by the way, after a year or two, your standardized test scores are going to go up. What are they going to say? Yes, please. Absolutely. And uh, so that's they've been very successful since with that value proposition. Um, and uh, it 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 seems so obvious, but it wasn't. Well, so when you're inside of it, what do you know? What do you see? You, you right. know, business as usual, and you just keep trying harder. Well, and you think the students and the parents are your client, but I think that the clarity of who is actually your client is the critical factor here, because it's not just that they're going to provide the space for it, but they are going to recommend that program to parents. They're, when yes. they say, oh, oh by God. the way, we have this new after-school program and it's going to help your student do better on these test scores, then they're going to talk to their other sure. colleagues, right? Your and, kid is at risk. Yeah. We so, suggest that he enroll in this after-school program. The results yeah. are proven. Yeah. Um, you're, you're, targeting, probably, yeah. you're targeting the right audience. I, I Right. So this is interesting because I've had this conversation with other business owners when we have the, I have been um, schooled in this in the last year or so. My friend, Ruben Schwartz, um, he has a a CRM called Mimiron. It's designed for people like me, solopreneurs, people who are maybe have a couple of employees or whatever that just need a, a simple basic CRM that makes it really, really easy to keep track of your clients. Mm-hmm. And he he does these positioning workshops and stuff. And one of the things that he said is, who is really your audience? Who do you need to talk to? And this was in the context of being a public speaker. And your your audience for your work, for your work is your audience, right? Whoever Sure. When you're doing the work. Right. But how are you going to get into that place? You're looking at HR folks, you're looking at executives from the organization that want to, that have a certain goal in mind for their Mm -hmm. event. And it kind of, it really changed the way I thought about the materials that I was sharing, the content I was sharing, Mm -hmm. um, and how I was emailing people and who I was trying to reach. So I love that you were able to develop that clarity for that nonprofit, that this is this is actually your target audience for the content you're sharing. To piggyback off of what you just said, um, I use the phrase, or I ask them, "Well, what are you selling? What are you really selling?" And if it's a nonprofit, they go, "Oh, we're not selling. We 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 you, you do." And I'm like, "Well, wait a minute. You're Every human something. is selling something." 
it may be a worldview. It may mm-hmm. be a, a, a set of values. You have to know because mm-hmm. then you can speak directly to your audience. Mm-hmm. And it's usually, it's usually, Sarah, one of four things. Do we make people safe, safer? Do we make them happy? Do we give them, offer them a community? Do we help them make their mark in life? That's pretty simple. So when you choose one, then then you're a little more clear. And there's a, a set of languages and symbols and cues that go along with that knowledge, that clarity that you can use in your marketing, social media, branding. Um, I mean, once you understand that, there are probably archetypes that go with those motivations. I call them motivations. I want to be happy. I want to be safe. You know, that kind of thing. Um, then Then you can speak to that audience directly emotionally um and let them know that uh, yes on the surface it's this product or, ser- or or service but underneath the way we communicate and the way we relate to each other it's it's this mm-hmm. and there's a there's a set of languages and symbols that go with that well and having a specific example of a story so uh when we were talking about your time in chicago there was an incident, which is getting your resume seen by that guy and him asking you, okay, why should I, why does this matter that you have theater experience? That one moment in time represents a, a big period in your life. This, uh, what I refer to as like an era, which is that first year in Chicago, right? I love to hear people pick out a story or two stories in that time period that can demonstrate the personal growth or experience in one small piece of that. So um, one of the things that I talk about is that I don't I don't believe in light bulb moments. I don't believe a light bulb just suddenly goes full on bright from nothing. We always have this subconscious dimmer switch going that we're picking up things that we don't even know we're picking up. And so when that light goes full bright, it's been on a dimmer switch all along. We just mm-hmm. haven't necessarily noticed the incremental light coming in. So um, being able to identify specific moments in time really helps us clarify certain times in our lives and reframe if necessary, right? Um, but it also helps when we're trying to explain what we do to somebody else. So your story of um, being able to help this nonprofit identify its differentiation and its ultimate, not an ultimate, its initial audience for that differentiation. All telling that story, I know other nonprofit people that are listening to this or even for-profit are understanding more about what you do without you having to tell them, oh, I am a, I help nonprofits right. tell their story. Ugh, okay. So. <laughs> yeah, great. Exactly. What does that mean to me? So I love that. That's a perfect story to demonstrate what you do. Clarity about your purpose goes a long way for nonprofits. And and when you read their mission statements, 
they read like to-do lists. <laughs> this is what we do and this is what we need to do. And, and, you know, and it's a list, literally it's, it's a list of four or five bullet points and getting them to understand that that's not your mission. That's how you do things. Right. They're, they're, they're different. Yeah. Your mission and, is either safety or your mission is or something to do with those happiness or yeah, your mission. Or yeah. Something like that. Okay. And for some of them, it's like, well, there's, I live in a small town in Southeast Pennsylvania and it's, it's a rural area. There are a lot of social safety nets and they, they, they have a hard time differentiating themselves from each other and, and getting them to understand that their purpose has a certain way of being told their vision of what the future looks like if they succeed has a certain way of being expressed and that their mission is is more or less how we do that the values that get us there and uh so working with them on on that and using those three legs as this you know as as for the seat of the are the three legs of the stool for, for the story that they're trying to tell. Mm -hmm. um, they're not great storytellers. They mean well, and they do their jobs very well. And, and they do make, they, they are trying to make a difference, but they don't know how to tell a story and the, they don't know how to tell the story about the difference they're trying to make. They only know how to give the bullet points of, of what we do to get, to try to make that happen. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, so a lot of times, just the clarity, again, clarity goes a long way, knowing who your audience is, knowing what you're selling. And, uh, and it's, it's awkward for them. They, oh, Of course, it's awkward for anyone, um, especially if you're in the nonprofit world, you're there for a specific reason. Either um, you had a direct experience with something related to it, um, people yeah. that go into homelessness, as a as a career, um, they have a they usually have a, a very vivid story of their own experience, either being homeless or experiencing somebody else who went through a period of homelessness. So it's always related to something that they've experienced indirectly or directly. So this brings me back to one of the key pieces that you shared in our conversation at the Momentum Community with Nettie Owens. It was, um, it, I, I have often heard it referred to as start with why with the Simon Sinek uh, YouTube video, uh, TED talk. Um, and his first one that went viral wasn't a TED talk. It was just in a, a boardroom with a whiteboard. And it was, I thought that was fantastic, way better than mm -hmm. his TED talk. But um, people say start with why. I really liked your question that you asked in our group. And um, I've been thinking a lot about it since then. So would you mind just, this will bring us full circle. Um, what was that question and how would you answer it yourself? Do you remember what I'm talking about? I don't remember the question. It was. I'm sorry, I wish I did. That's okay. Um, how the world would look if oh. I see a day when. Oh, that's, that's a vision statement. And it's yes. a, just a simple little prompt 
to get no, 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 no. Stop saying just. All right. It's uh, it is I, a simple prompt. And I, I'm telling you, Peter, remove that word just from that sentence. All right. Thank you. I appreciate that. Powerful tool. I mean, it's helping me and I'm a storyteller. So I used it the other day for a group. And uh, three days later, someone was still like, man, that that prompt, I see a day when I can't stop mm -hmm. thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it does open up a lot of things. If you're stuck figuring out why you do what you do, paint a picture of what the future looks like when you succeed. Make that the story. It's pitched forward. What do you do? What we're trying to do is create a future where all and fill in the blanks. So um, I thought of mine. I'm going to interrupt and then I want you to yeah. give me yours. And I'm still working on it. And I have a few of them because I, I, I do a lot of different things. But ultimately, the goal is for people to like their work again, for people to not pray for Friday and cry on Sunday night. Oh, man. Those, that's great. Very simple. When people like their work again necessary we all relate to it there's nothing to argue with it's positive it's useful mm -hmm. and if you're just a bottom line business owner well you're going to get something out of that that's going to work for you too yep and i think the the ultimate thing is how this relates to my why which is that that has a, such a long ripple effect when somebody likes their work. They come home in a different mood. They interact with their kids in a different way. They interact with their partners and their community in a different way when they don't hate their jobs, when they feel valued, when they feel like their communication is clear and there's um, transparency. It just has this huge ripple effect in our communities. I could see decreasing violence. I could see decreasing homelessness. I could see so much related to when people like their work. Oh, families, children would appreciate it. Seriously, I, I know I would have. Yeah, <laughs> kid. Sure. When my mom loved her job, she was a nurse for decades. And yeah. when even when she was in school, we were teenagers and she was in school going back for her four-year nursing mm -hmm. degree, got her RN, graduated summa cum laude. Even in nursing and in her clinical, she would come home just glowing. Even if it was a really hard day and she had studied all night, she would still, she came into dinner glowing with confidence and meaning in her life. And I will never forget that. So I want to hear yours so that we can. Um, I have two. One is personal. Circle. My personal yes. one is. I see a day when people in nature live in harmony. Oh. I'm a hippie gardener. I can't, I can't, uh, you know, <laughs> as a hippie gardener, uh, that's harmony. Yeah. Yes. Harmony. And uh, not just you and me, but, but the world we live in and, and all mm -hmm. the other plants and animals, we all belong here equally. Mm -hmm. um, my business one is I work on that a lot. I, my go-to is, I see a day when difference makers 
fulfill their missions with greater impact i it's it's ordinary mm. and and it 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 doesn't doesn't make me sit up so i'm still working on that part but it it has something to do with a, a day when 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 difference makers have all the resources and allies they need to fulfill their missions when they do we're all better off for it absolutely so that's the second piece and when that happens yes and i a lot of times i'll just ask questions of a client well what do you do why does that matter well then what happens what happens after that and when you can't go any further then i suggest well why don't you move that to the front (laughs) exactly exactly oh i love it wow peter this has been so good i i'm my brain is just all over the place right now it's i i have ideation in my top talents which means uh it's it's like the hamster on the wheel in my brain just running at full speed and many times it's overwhelming for me when it starts getting going but right now it feels just positive and hopeful and optimistic so and that's that's directly attributed to you and this conversation so thank you my pleasure thanks for the invitation i've had a great time sarah for our listeners, how do they get in touch with you? And listeners, don't worry. We will have all of this in the show notes associated with this episode of Your Stories Don't Define You at elkinsconsulting.com. You can find me at heroesquestconsulting.com, Peter at heroesquestconsulting.com. Excellent. And, and you're uh, on LinkedIn, right? I am on LinkedIn. Okay. And we'll have your link to your LinkedIn profile as well. Thank you. Excellent. Peter, thanks again. My pleasure. Thank you, Sarah. All right, listeners, now it's your turn. Whatever you're doing, I hope that you can start to answer that question. I see a day when. I have no doubt that whatever you put together, you can then use to really inform how you present yourself to the world around you. Because the stories you tell say a lot about who you are. And the stories you tell about others and your community say even more about who you are. So share your stories and share them well. Thanks for listening. Smile, what's the use of crying? You'll find that life still worthwhile if you just smile